Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up woman. By the way, if you listen to this on a new app called Entale, E-N-T-A-L-E, you will be able to see pictures, shop links, and generally have a really relaxing magazine experience. Happy Boxing Day, everyone. Hello, I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine, but I can't get dressed at the moment. And it's not PMT, uh, which it usually is. It's just I hate my clothes, uh, which makes me hate my body and my life and everyone in my life. So um, my wardrobe is not on my side right now. Emily, how are you? Well, uh, hi, Annabelle. Uh, I'm absolutely fine, but uh, the fear is calling me today, and I really bloody hate it when it does that. And I don't know why or what it wants, but I'm not going to answer. So that's that. I mean, why would you answer the phone on Boxing Day? Why would you answer the doorbell on Boxing Day? Why would you answer anything on Boxing Day? I know, it's all those little things that are just sort of acts of self-harm, aren't they? That you just wish that you could just sort of stop doing. Like, I feel compelled to touch my phone. Stop touching my phone. Yes, for Christmas, um, we on our dream list that we talked about, wasn't yours. It was something like a aversion therapy phone cover. Yes, that basically gave you electric shock every time you touched it. Because I think that's genius. I mean, can you imagine? In fact, I'm going to mentally patent it now. Mentally patent it. Yes, yeah. consider that patented. Yeah. Super legal, yeah? Yeah, and then if you touch... I suppose the problem would be if you then... If other people touch your phone and you gave them electric shocks, and they might they be across. And they sued you. Yeah. They might be cross. <laughs> <laughs> what else was on our Christmas lists that we didn't get? Mine, speaking of, you know, the esoteric, was some kind of portable vortex so that I would look dulcet and honeyed at all times because I could just go to the loo and scream and howl about being unappreciated and insane into my portable vortex and I would fold it up and put it into my enormous disgusting handbag full of like tobacco and old tampax and no one would ever know. Do you know it's not actually illegal to just start screaming? <laughs> Isn't it a disturbance of the peace or something? I think you'd have to be pretty disturbing. I mean, you know. You'd have to be a bit of an arse to arrest someone for screaming in distress. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I quite want a neuralizer. Oh? You know, uh, do you remember that film Men in Black? It's probably been Oh, it's probably it's on tonight. Someone's wiped it from my memory. No, I do remember it. <laughs> and uh, and they held out that thing and it would just wipe out all your selective memory. So it could wipe out, you know, kind of me sleeping with the IT guy. Yes, or all or, or, or the Jaffa cakes. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, and you could just have a completely clean slate. I did I, ask for sleep, but ha ha ha. I know, but Sanders not God, right? No. So um, I tell you what I would have liked would have been a higher or somehow altered tolerance for caffeine so that I could have all of the awake and none of the heart attack. The thing is, you've got quite a high tolerance for caffeine. What are you saying? Um, well, I'm just saying that you don't like You're saying start it's time to give up caffeine? No, I'm saying you can handle it. Can I like, just say for our listeners, Emily isn't allowed coffee. Yeah, I mean, you once, in fact, this is a measure of how long we've known each other, that Annabelle and I, when we were kind of junior executives kind of thing, and when I got called into a meeting and I had had all the coffee, and uh, afterwards, Annabelle said to me, pulled me aside and said, Emily, no more coffee for you. Never drink coffee again. <laughs> and I, I basically haven't. Basically? Got, well, I might have accidentally drunk coffee. How does that happen? Well, when you pick up someone's whatever. So I just want to say I've never touched <laughs> coffee. They could be backing you into lips. a corner. Yeah, exactly. So what else on our Christmas list that we didn't get? I know what I didn't get, and I'm worried I will never get it, is some kind of measure of spontaneity. I mean, all the planning hard. and all the kind of horror of disruption and, you know, some, just 
something that was a little bit more fly by the seat of my pants. I think also, um, in, and this is the least spontaneous thing I'm going to say, is um, I want a new list. I want a list amnesty. Can we start again? 2019. Just nothing on it. Just so blissful. Yeah, so your damp patch that needs fixing, not on the list. The fucking damp patch, honestly. And I, I tell you, I think that when I think about where all my money's gone, and so much of it has gone on kind of patching things up pointlessly, and the bloody thing still leaks, and we've just got to put our big girl pants on, and well, my big girl pants on. Oh, of course, but his big bam, big girl pants. <laughs> your husband puts on his big girl pants. I've got to put my big girl pants on and just get it fixed. Your big girl pants, what to show that you're a grown up. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, Christmas, Boxing Day, when this is the day we're meant to have a lull and have a think. And you have that funny old thing about thinking about all the Christmases you've had and all the people you've been over those Christmases. Because, you know, apart from the fact, did you know our cells entirely renew every seven years? So, in fact, seven years later, we are genuinely not the same person we were. But also, we're not under any obligation to be the same as we were last year. And it made me think, you know, you and I have written about this before, about all the women that we've been, you know whether it was the like the week I spent as a yogi until I did my knee in after three class passes oh, you were practically planning your ashram <laughs> weren't you oh yeah I was literally moving to Goa and that was going to be it or um or the slutty the summertime slut usually I mean, as a result of a broken heart when it was just like a festival of fucks and you just felt worse or the time I had that unbelievably cool haircut <laughs> how cool was that haircut <laughs> So directional, a directional haircut. That's a whole different person. What did your mother say? My mother said, you're going to need to wear a lot more makeup now. And I cried for basically 10 years. Or the Christmas when you were like a, I was like a shadow. It was like I didn't exist. Things were so rough. It's like I'd wipe myself out completely. Those are awful times. I know. And you just feel like you just don't know. You don't even, you just don't even there. There was also my power dressing Christmas. Terrifying for everybody else. Quite terrifying for me. I think I just got my first job that didn't have assistant at the end of it. Um, And I just thought I would go to somewhere like Joseph. And... Buy that suit. Buy that suit. Which is... Do you think it's come back into fashion yet? Was it in fashion then? I mean, who knows? And uh, that reminds me of when I was the terrible employee, basically. I just was never... I don't think I ever showed up for work. And I just, if I did, I'd sleep under the desk at work. It's because oh you were God. always drunk. I remember my sister up. waiting for me to come back and rap from the pub. And it was a kind Sorry, of ritual. It always makes me laugh when I talk about rapping. I yes. think, oh, I've got so much rapping to do. Let's <laughs> rap. <laughs> anyway, thankfully, uh, there's no more. Well, there's sort of mental Christmases, but they're mid, mid, are you having a mid-alt Christmas? Tell you what's quite good about Boxing Day is Boxing Day is the ideal time to do all that secret adult behavior that we all do, but that we don't talk about. Um, like uh, hiding when the doorbell rings, like um, eating from the fridge, I'm standing gonna take, up. I'm gonna take loads of selfies that I'm never gonna intend, I'm never gonna share to anyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hi- like lying down ones, just to see what it looks like. Yeah, really bad body stuff, picking stuff and squeezing stuff and sort of nibbling stuff on yourself. Um, I might start talking to myself in the third person. You know, come on, McMeekin, it's time to get out of bed and... Yeah, put yourself your- together, Rifkin. It's Boxing Day, for fuck's sake. Um, and, um, and, you know, and also, like, all the shit around the house. It's like that plastic island in the middle of the ocean. 
is in my sitting room and it's making me feel very, very ashamed. I think I might just go and have a bath and imagine all the kind of heroic scenarios that I'm going to find myself in in 2019, like being on Newsnight. You know, I'm so glad you asked that question, Kirsty. Yes, all being in the pool with Claire Balding going, I mean, I've never seen a woman swim like this. I, it's, it, this is Look at her cutting through the waves. Yes, have a bath. And then maybe after the bath, a bit of a wardrobe clear out. Mm. You can hear me sighing. It's because it's Please just so full of that. horror. I know. Well, you know, like the, 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 well, I mean, remember the too sexy underwear? <laughs> it, I've still got it. <gasps> you know, I, you, you sort of ordered it when you were a bit drunk because you thought you were someone else. And, and, and when it arrived... You, you tried to pretend it didn't give you like a massive wedgie and, and four boobs and and but it's still there in the back of the third drawer down and it just is a measure of your failure that's depressing isn't it's it so depressing also all the stupidly high heels that are so high that you can't actually walk in then you look like you've just had a double hip replacement probably bought in a sample cell so they're two sizes too small because you thought 50 quid yeah, was I a can't bargain quite bear to, even though i haven't worn heels like for about four years i still can't can't quite bear to throw them away like it's sort of like like I can't bear to throw away those girls that I carry with me. Did you um, did you ever have a plaid, a tartan shirt habit? No, but I had some lots of military shit. I had I had a tar- I had a plaid shirt habit for a while, probably about eight years ago, and I thought it made me look like Daisy Duke, and I think it made me look violent. <laughs> but they're still there, folded, um, and um, and uh, they should go. They should go. Um, as as oh yes you had did you you had military did you have a big old military coat oh bloody hell if anybody wants to kind of you know Google Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation there I am <laughs> I'm not actually <laughs> <laughs> no you're not because we're here in the studio on Boxing Day and we're not alone we can't really decide how to introduce our next guest. Uh, Brianna Gordon is a columnist. She's the writer of three best-selling books. Her most recent Eat, Drink, Run is out in paperback tomorrow. She's a double marathon runner, once in her underwear. She's a mental health advocate, body positivity poster girl, star of a Little Mix video. And in her books and her columns and on Instagram, Bryony has charted in funny and forensic detail her struggles with OCD, bulimia, alopecia and alcoholism. And her honesty and openness has made it okay for so many people to admit that they do not feel okay. Welcome, Bryony. How are you? I'm absolutely fine. But at the moment, bits of my body are falling out of me in bloody clumps. (laughs) And, you know, I've got my period, right? And I'm sorry. And I really wanted to have a rant about this, actually, because... I still, at the grand old age of 38, get, you know, I get sort of embarrassed about the fact I have a period. And, you know, I feel like women are supposed to, we're supposed to be embarrassed about getting periods. We're supposed to be embarrassed when we stop having periods. And we, we went to see, I just have to interrupt you for a second. We went to see a show, The Scummy Mummies, the other day. I know, I love them. And they were working with a charity and they were working with a, 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 a remote Nepalese tribe. And when the women have their periods, they have to go and sleep in the shed where they are eaten by mountain lions. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, okay, I feel like, I, that's, okay. I that's do a whole feel other level like of embarrassment. I, I've had, I've been, I feel like my problems have been put into perspective. <laughs> I have not been locked in a shed and eaten by mountain lions, but three sometimes days. I feel like I have. Like, and also my periods as I've got older, I've got really heavy. But you know, you're quite right, because it does get worse as you get older. Your PMT joins up with your MT, with your post-MT, and you're just in one big hormonal, like, land of fuckery it's just I'm, I'm going to give myself permission to be a little bit smug now because I have got had the hormonal coil in for about three years and I haven't had a period and it is 
bloody marvelous, or rather unbloody marvelous. But is it is it is it is it hormonal? Yes. Okay, so it's I, I have a problem. I don't want to. I don't want to mess around with my hormones. I grew up very hormonal. My hormones have loomed really large in my life since you know since adolescence, and so if you um, have felt that you are a victim of them at any point, then you have to sort of own them, and that involves feeling them. I mean, I wouldn't have that coil either. I know what you mean. I feel like I have to know what's going on with myself mm. hormonally in order to own what's happening with my mental health and my physical mm. health and everything else. I'm just too nervy to do it because they've been so present and so colourful for me for, mm. you know, 30, 40, how long? Not, for, not quite 40 <laughs> Yes, that's where we are. I, it's funny because I start, I do a podcast called Mad World and the first question that we ask is, um, how are you really? Which is which is kind of another way of saying I'm absolutely, absolutely fine, fine but, but I wish we asked each other questions like this you know this I had an interesting yes, thing totally about six years ago and I was having dinner with a very good friend of mine and his mother who's a shrink and she asks a different question she asks what are you really and it was mm. interesting because he was he worked in production and he said a writer and she said to me what are you really and I said a mother and that dictated the choices that I then made because mm, it was suddenly very clear really to me what I was yeah since you wrote Mad Girl, have people's reactions to you changed? Well, I think people, um, well, it's really interesting. I, a, fr- a really good school friend of mine sent me a letter. She'd read it and she and she, obviously, and she sent me a letter saying, I'm so sorry I didn't realise all this was going on. But of course, the thing is, is that like, I didn't, I didn't ever perceive it as being this huge thing. It was just this kind of undercurrent to my life, you know, and um but people, no, people, it's, I think it's enabled me to live um, as myself, really, mm. having spent like a long time trying, you know, the other question, which I'm really kind of toying with at the moment, because I'm in the middle of writing a book for teenage girls, a, like a mental health book. And that question we all ask every kids is like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And and I, you know, I had a million different answers, like an astronaut, a marine biologist, a unicorn, a, you know, whatever, a, an actress, a, a, all of this. Um, but at the, really, what I wanted to be was a little less like me. <laughs> and yeah. that was at the heart of every kind of decision that I ever made. And I was like, oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a shameful person. I'm not quite right. I don't look quite right. I don't, you know, and I, I think that's all pretty normal stuff, you know. And, um, and so then when I wrote Mad Girl and... Uh, kind of detailed all of that stuff because I was aware that there were other people out and you can you intellectually that there were other people out there like me so I knew intellectually but I'm like where are these other people because yeah. like and I was like actually am I a, uh, maybe because I have this form of obsessive OCD is like the what if the doubting disease so I was like well maybe I don't have OCD maybe I really am a serial killing pedophile and the worst person in the world so it was really out of an act of desperation that I wrote Mad Girl to be like, hello, hi, hi, <laughs> yeah. if you're like me, come yeah. to me. Is there anybody out there? And there were a lot, as it turned out, there are a lot of people out there. And, you know, and I came out two and a half years ago, I think, and I still get every day, like, lots of messages, not just from women, but mostly women, you know, sort of re- saying that this resonates, this I related to this bit. Um, so, and I've realized that the power is having my whole life trying to be something else, trying to kind of conform or fit some notion that I'd sort of created in my own head via billboards and magazines and, you know, just the toxic 
compound that all we breathe in as women. You know, I was like, oh, actually, I can just be me. <laughs> but as the woman who runs marathons in your brown pants. Oh, yeah, I do that as well. I mean, how would you have felt at 15 about appearing oh, in public in your brown pants? Died. What was your relationship with your face and body was then? terrible. Mm. Like, I just thought... I just always I felt really fat, which la- which makes me laugh. I found this picture of myself the other day, which I put on Instagram. I saw that, and I was like, I was tiny. Like my eyes looked too big for my head. Like I looked a bit deranged, and I thought I really thought I was fat. You know that kind of thing, oh, because I, I think that, and I don't. I think we all have this sort of not to belittle, not to kind of make light of body dysmorphia, because I know it's a real problem, but I feel like it's sort of um, knitted into the DNA of, of of being a woman, because it's always, you, you know, look like this, be that, you know, my, my mum used to say to me, d- like, we could always do with, you know, like I used to say, oh, do you think I need to lose weight, mum? And she'd say, oh, we can all do with losing a bit of weight. Yeah. It all starts with our mothers. What did mm. you learn about body image and glamour as well? From at your mother's knee. So my mum is really glamorous. I mean, I look like I've eaten three of my mum. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> She's like tiny. And it's funny. And I, and I've always, and I used to, as I was, well, I, all I remember really about growing up, and I think it's quite normal, was that like, it was things like Jane Fonda going for the burn. Can I just say, my mum used to make us do the aerobics in the living yeah, room, all yeah. of us. Which actually, it's quite fun. Like, I think aerobics can be quite fun. It's bloody hard. But it was always like, I noticed, like, I, you know that thing that you kind of, you, you hear, you kind of absorb your mum's conversations with their friends and like and I, and I, it was always like you, oh you look like you've lost weight and it was always a compliment and they'd be sort of clutching onto a, like a can of Diet Coke with you know like not and my mum I remember my mum telling me or, or hearing her maybe she didn't tell me she was like when you get older in the evening you either eat or you drink but you don't do both that's some advice and that's what I and then I decided to drink I chose the drink <laughs> That was the part. And then I chose the eating. But like, for, for, I feel I feel extraordinarily blessed, without wanting to sound cheesy, that I was born at the time I was born and that I've come of age at a time, you know, when there's opportunities to like make, to, to, to re-negotiate um, these relationships we have with our bodies. I've just been lucky enough to be able to go and get therapy and go to rehab. And I, I, I willingly take myself off to 12-step meetings every week, you know. And um, and that's a normal thing for someone of my age to do, but it's not for her. So I'm like, I, I wouldn't see no, it. Re- reco- I wouldn't see reco- it. But also recovery, I think even 10 years ago was much more of a secret mm. than it is now. Yeah, when yeah. I stopped drinking, I was so, ash- I mean, you know, so ashamed of not only my behavior, but the fact that I had had such a problem that I had to stop. And mm. so it's only, and you know, you, I find, you know you so inspiring and it's amazing for me as someone who's sort of kept her kind of recovery in the shadows that to, that you know and that I can now come out and say yeah no I haven't drunk for a long time and, and I think celebrate that your sobriety yeah and I just felt that that was something that I could that I couldn't do 13 years ago but I rem- but even like you say like 10 13 years ago but I last year when I went to rehab uh you know, there was all these myths that I had about addiction and, and alcoholism and rehab that were kind of very quickly kind of... Um, dispelled. Dispelled. Like, uh, I remember being like, I really don't want to drink anymore, but I really can't stop. And But I can't be an alcoholic because I don't drink um, every day. 
I don't drink during the day. I don't like pour vodka on my cornflakes. I don't, I'm like, I don't even drink vodka. Like I'm very, I was very specific towards the end. My drinking was, it was either champagne or ale, session <laughs> ale. Mostly it was session ale, obviously, because I'm not like made of money. But, um, and obviously I thought I'm being very controlled and I wouldn't start until my daughter was down to bed. But, you know, it was like, no, it was just me trying to kind of tell myself. But then when I had a drink, it was like all bets were off. And then, to, and it, you know, they, you, you know this, it's, they say it's a progressive illness. And um, I would, I had a real cocaine problem in my 20s. And, um, and I thought I'd sort of stamped on it. You know, I thought I'd stamped on that part of me by getting married and having a child because that obviously cured that does that, <laughs> that does, cures cocaine that does for most people <laughs> also yeah. having a child makes everything so much easier it's so much more relaxing and you make I such find. good decisions when you haven't had any sleep etc etc yeah but I wasn't like it didn't you know but it, that that started to creep back in I felt and um and it just got done <laughs> I, I thought you know I thought I'd out I thought I'd I thought I'd outwitted the cocaine. Outwitted it. Yeah, outwitted all of it. I yeah. thought I'd. I thought I was going to lunch, and I was like, mm, no, it's it's caught up with me. It's caught particularly up when me. you're doing marathons, etc. Yeah. As well. I mean, I didn't ever like drink while I was running a marathon or take cocaine while I was running the marathon, which I think is probably wise. Mm. But the marathon was really the point at which I realised. So this book, Eat, Drink, Run, is it's really um, when I first kind of came up with the idea of it, I was still drinking. And um, I was like, oh, this is a book for real women about how I managed to run a marathon and but also eat and drink and, you know, and, ha and, and I did. But then I realized as I, um, I sort of first tried to get sober about a month after the marathon because it kind of was like, I keep, I, you know, I started doing things like just disappearing for 24 hours, you know, and finding myself in all sorts of dark situations. And um I'd like be at you know, strangers flat at four in the morning snogging another woman like oh, how, this is hang on what what you know hello um, <laughs> and then um, but I think it was like I was trying to process I, there was a lot like mad girl had come out and I was trying to process I sounds so privileged I hate that I'm gonna say these things but so mad girl came out and then I got I signed up to do the marathon. And then there was a sort of this extraordinary few months. We did the marathon, we raised 45,000 pounds. And then uh, Prince Harry did the podcast with me talking about his mental health. And it was like, oh, Brian, you're all right. And then, but everyone started telling me their mental health issues. And my drinking really, and which I, is an extraordinary privilege, but it was also like, I don't quite know. So How to take when I'd get handles. home at the end of the day, I'd be like, I need a drink. Or I'd go and do an event and I'd be like, smiling, like, oh, I'm so sorry, give me a hug. And then, but as soon as I left, I was like, I need to sit down and have yeah. a drink and 87,000 cigarettes. And so what happened was it just started to get worse and worse. And then and and then the marathon, I, I certainly thought doing the marathon, I'm like, oh, that'll, that'll get me under <laughs> control. You know, that'll, but... I mean, obviously, as I said, I stopped drinking for the duration of the actual marathon. But then I went on like a bender that night. And I can't, I couldn't believe it this year when I did the marathon in my underwear. And I thought, oh, the marathon's going to be way easier because I'm sober and, I, you know, I'm healthier. And it was awful. It was so much worse because I realised I was like running towards a pint of beer at the end. Whereas I was like, what am I running towards? Yeah. I'm just running towards a Byron burger, but I would have had that anyway. Didn't, what I loved in this book, didn't some uh, someone accuse you of using your body like a fun fair? Is that what they said? Yeah, yeah. I had or an amusement park. Is that what it was? Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I, had, I had a colleague who said to me, yeah, you 
you the problem you just treat your body like an amusement park Bryony and I was like but it's so much fun I know well that sounds great but, but I did I, but no but of course amusement parks need to like shut down for a few yeah. months every year for a new look of pain well they become very very dangerous perilous places exactly also exactly. nobody wants where to be, nothing good happens no they do you know like in movies horror yes, films yeah, right yeah decapitation yeah. Oh, yeah. scary clowns uh, exactly like in the dark <clears throat> shit gets you know yeah. w- real yeah, you can't, you know, amusement parks are summer places, you know, they're not not all year round. It is a bit sad, I think. I think for anybody who's had a really, really good time, I'm not in recovery, but I've had too much of a good time in my life, and it's always a bit sort of sad to think, oh, you know, this variety of good time has probably got to end now. Yeah, I do. When people ask me why I don't drink, I'm like, oh, I drank my my uh, lifetime's allowance of alcohol by the age of 37. And then I had to stop. My counselor in rehab was like, yeah, I'm five other people's too. <laughs> but like, I do think though, but I still do stand by that possible, like when I, when I got um, asked to do the marathon for Heads Together, which is this mental health charity that is uh, run by the Royal Foundation, so the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the, and, and the Duke, of Sussex, as we must now call him, has a. We, um, we, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't run for a bus, you know. And to me, in my head, exercise was something really fit, healthy people did, and you know, thin people did. And if I started doing exercise, people were going to start like laughing and send me back, go like, go back to Burger King. You know, I was like 16 and a half stone. I'm now a very spelt 15 and a half stone, you know? And I discovered that it wasn't about the weight loss, you know? Exercise wasn't about the losses. It was about the gains. It was like the mental clarity. And I love it. And And I'm pretty fit. Like people can't, like there's a certain type of internet troll who cannot believe (laughs) that I could run a marathon without like dying and then being a huge burden on all of our, on our national health service, you know. And so what this book is, you know, it was about that kind of going, oh, if I can do this, literally anyone can. Because I fucking loved it. It was like, it was the thing that got me, it really kind of inspired me to turn my life around and get sober. Because I was like, actually, I really loved that feeling of going for a run and feeling good. And then, and I was like, shit. And also, the thing is, is that, I mean, I'd never run for a bus until I was 35. And um, it is addictive. Yeah. And I had a badly, badly broken heart. And I went to the gym every day at six in the morning, mostly in tears. Yeah. For, and they said it takes three months to get addicted. And I dragged myself out. And on the 90th day, I woke up and I thought, this is just what I do now. Yeah. And... Six and a half stone later, that was just what I did. Really, you know? and and I and I boringly and sort of decrepitly and geriatrically, I put my back out about four days ago, so I haven't been able to exercise since. And I don't like the feeling that mm. I haven't got my blood pumping. Yeah, yeah. Don't I, like the way it makes my head and personality feel. It's like no, I, there are technical difficulties happening now. Yeah, it is. It is also. It's that thing of you can. I find like go you do a long run. And there's there's a certain point, sort of mile eleven or tw- well, it doesn't it can check it's completely dependent, but where you're like, wow, I'm creating that magic feeling with my own body, and I have not had to go to the pub or call up a drug dealer. Mm. <laughs> I can do it all by myself. I think as well to also take out that for for me, you know what you said about uh, when you go out for a dr- you go out for a drink and all bets were off, and I feel that that like ninety percent of my mental health is sort of better because I don't have that dread mm. of what's going to happen when I step out of the house for whatever reason mm. to go out for a drink. Or because whatever. Emily and I've known each other a long time, so if we would go drinking together when we were twenty nine, mm. um, we'd hit it really hard, and I'd go home at two. 
and you'd keep going, right? Yeah, and three days later, I'd be like, oh, shit, I better go to bed now. But I think that's, but the thing is, and but that fear, that fear occupied me, you mm. know, actually wasn't so much the craving for for alcohol or anything. It was the, it was the fear of, 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 of what's going to happen, mm. but being unable to prevent it. And I think that's the thing with, Oh, you know, just the knowledge that just, this is, I remember I used to like, you know, I'd get in the shower in the morning and the, and the just the thought would come into my head oh. and I'd know, I'd know that that night, the night tonight, that night was going, I just knew what was coming, yeah. but yeah, being completely unable to prevent it. And it's very As scary. As someone who still has hangovers and goes over the top sometimes, I think not drinking is incredibly glamorous. Oh. Yeah. I think just the I just the ability to go to a party, handle the party, handle yourself, handle other people, their expectations, who to be, how to be, what to be, all the anxieties, um, and not do that, you know, drunk or high or something is... Uh, I mean, amazing. I don't have that ability yet. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't left the house in 15 I don't months. Go, yeah, this is the first time you've got me out of the house on, on Boxing Day. Just, I realised, I realised getting sober, I always thought I was like a real people person and really gregarious and like life and soul of the party and I realised I don't actually like parties. You're, what do they, an extroverted introvert? Yeah, I'm totally an introvert, mm. which is... Um, False advertising, right? I think confidence is like a total trick as well. I, I think it's... I, I don't think anyone has masses of it, and I get, I get sort of, um, I get lots of messages from people going, oh, I, I, I wish I had your confidence, and I'm like, I don't, I still have the same hang-ups as everyone else, but I sort of let them float by, and I don't kind of cling to them. Or and if you talk about how them. frightened you are, mm. people think you're very confident. You're not. You're just talking about how terrified you are. Yeah. yeah but I also love the fact, like, in 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 the book as well about you know if every step you take is like a little victory. And yeah. That is kind of it's like look at me, I'm leaving the house. Yeah. Or but that's a really that's interesting message because it is the one step at a time yeah. thing. If you just look at what um, action you can take next, and if it's just another step, and I think if you're very very depressed. If you can just take the next breath, yeah. almost, yeah. then you know you're moving through the day. Um, what was the height of what was the height of glamour for you at fifteen? What was the what was your hair and your makeup and your what was your armour then as a teenager? Or for me, looks have always been quite a frightening thing. I got boobs when I was really young, like eleven, and huge boobs. And so I always I remember my mum used to say to me, "Oh my god, men are like looking at you on the street." And when I was like, you know, like really young. And um, and and I remember being quite frightened by it. Yeah. Me too, because because it elicits also a reaction that yeah. you're not in any way prepared to respond to yeah. when you're, you know, twelve or thirteen, like yeah. me, with really big tits. Yeah. I mean, I was propositioned on the street. I was asked if I was a prostitute. Yeah. I was whistled at. I was groped. Um, you know, and and I was very very innocent. Yeah. I just. For some reason, because of the breasts, people thought, "Yeah, <laughs> didn't look it." Yeah, I, 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 I am. Um, I think so. I think that I, I. It was like I'd done it on purpose to ask people yeah. to touch me or yeah. you know talk about them. Yeah. So I feel like on the one hand, I wanted to embrace makeup and, and looking good and being you know beautiful and all of that. But on the other hand, I was really frightened of it because it, there was this sort of dark side to it. Let's go through your makeup bag. Oh. <laughs> Which is pink velvet. Couldn't be girlier. It couldn't be girlier. I mean, I love... No, you see, this is the thing. Now, look, the first thing I'm pulling out is is some anti-chafing gel. <laughs> oh, you see, it's all that running. It is really useful, but also, not just when you're running, but it's like when you are... Um, wearing a skirt and you know you get that chub rub sometimes in the summer even in the winter with tights okay so this is a person who knows her makeup 
<laughs> so it's the By Terry Flawless Foundation I am, brush. I, am, I, got, I got a good makeup education from my mum, I think. And also from like, I used to like devour Just Seventeen and all those magazines. And I was like quite fascinated by that thing of if you put something there and there. And um, I quite liked the sort of, there was a practicality to it. That, that, then that is amazing. This is the Arborian. This is a Korean skin therapy brand so cc cream so this is your foundation is it that's just what i wear now yeah every it, day it's like it's like a it look it's you put it on your hands and it's white and then you so it just looks like a cream and then you put it on and it's like oh my god but the thing about a really good tinted moisturizer is that foundation you can't just wear foundation with nothing else you look all flat and canvassy and weird mm. but it actually looks like skin so i don't mind well actually now that i'm 44 i kind of slightly do mind leaving the house without tinted moisturizer it's the one thing i just stick on in the morning mm. so okay so we've got the abhorrency what else have we got in here that and mascara basically and I what really, mascara do you use um, let's I see. can't pronounce who Kevin Oakwa yeah you see I always think it's a sign of someone who knows their makeup when you have a lot of a brand like Hourglass because Hourglass is you know the makeup lover's makeup okay so I okay but I so this is so if I but if I am going to buy makeup I want it to be nice so you've got the Hourglass ambient lighting powder which I really approve of a powder Yes. Oh, I have to wear a powder <laughs> over my cream because I go shine. Otherwise, I'm really so shiny and I feel like it's shiny. just going to fall off my face. I mean, it still falls off my face. No, no. I just feel like if I put powder on, I'll just look like a dried riverbed. No, I put powder on. I don't understand people that don't put a powder on. Like, just to press it down. Oh. And then the ambient, brilliant strobe light yeah. on the cheekbones. That's like cheap. I don't really use that all that often. It's like cheap. But, and that's a bronzer. Which, oh, it's good, this bronzer. That comes out when I've like been on holiday. But oh, I'm, this is for when you're already brown. Yeah. Um, and then a bit of Fenty Beauty, which is Rihanna's beauty brand, yeah, which I, I love. Just, I use a glitter by them. I, I well, I, I went in and I was like, oh, I, I went in with Jada, who um, is my much younger partner in crime, um, who I ran the marathon with. She's a plus size model. Um, and she's, yeah, she's much younger than me. She's like almost 10 years younger. So she's than all me. about the Fenty. And she was like, come on, Bryony. I was <laughs> like, oh, and, and all like things that were green and purple. I was like, oh, this is nice. She's like that very boring peach. Well, like, it is called Yacht Life with a Y. <laughs> I mean, I would almost read that as old English. Yacht Lifey. <laughs> a Bobbi Brown cream blusher because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, quite normcore. Yeah, very I'm, good. I'm scared what else we're going to find in there. Well, I found, okay, oh, I was hoping it was a condom, but it's a, it's a sachet of Rodeo B Venom moisturizer. Yeah. Oh well. That Freya in Space NK on the Northcote Road. How did you? Yeah. Um, and now we're down to some lipsticks. So yeah. you're quite brave with your lipsticks. Yeah. Putting out livid orange electric coral by well, Bobby I don't Brown. Bother. If I'm going to wear a lipstick, it's it's got to be like. Game I agree. Changing. I don't like new, not, news re no, readery sort no, of neutrals. No, I'm like, why are you putting that on me? My lips are already that colour. But otherwise, I'm so addicted to Carmex lip balm that I, that's just like the, really the only thing that goes on my lips. I think a lot of our kind of generation have real lip glo li um, lip balm problems. Yeah, I mean, yes, my new, yeah. I mean, a problem with lip balm. Yeah, is, they should set up a rehab centre. Yes. Yeah. Are there any kind of uh, are there any mantras that you live by? Any any any? I know it's cheesy, but anything that you sort of say to yourself in the mirror or in a quiet moment that makes you feel that life is going to be okay um i heard the archbishop of canterbury on desert island discs years ago um justin welby and he was talking about his daughter dying when she was very young um she must have been seven I think it was in a car crash and he was talking about that period afterwards when he was you know bereft and the way he got through it was he and it was um, attack the day, don't let it attack you. 
And that that I really went in like my darkest moments of illness have um have have has has been a really helpful thing. But I'm also I think very much like I I, I do like my little mantras. I'm in recovery, you know, and I do think that, you know, like we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up. Oh my God. And it doesn't, it's just a, it's not, it's not a good use of energy. It's like, it doesn't help us, you know, like, so you stayed in bed about 10 minutes longer. Like, you know, who hasn't? Fuck it, it's Boxing Day. Brian Gordon, <laughs> Eat, Drink, Run is out in paperback tomorrow. You're an absolute inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Medult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. You weren't built in a day. See you next year. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.